Good morning, beautiful people. This is Nube sharing space with you here at KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at kpoo.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Thank you for tuning in. I want to give a shout out to our loved ones behind the walls and your family, but we are going to get right to it because we have some powerful voices to listen to, and I'm not even putting anything in between. I had to get them in uh, for today. So you will be listening to Lewis Powell, Mutope Dugu. Guma and Za. See you on the other side. Okay, this is a piece by Lewis Powell. He is a politicized, brilliant, caged community member who CDCR has been trying to tell you um, is the worst of the worst. Revolutionary greetings. For decades, while under solitary confinement, I was one of numerous new African subjects who was trapped in oblivion while the outside world of solitary confinement was constantly changing. We survived by feeding off the imagination of a past movement that had died away several decades ago. After decades of extremely abnormal solitary confinement, new Africans emerged to an even more abnormal world where young men who could be their grandsons have been robbed by menticide of their racial pride. Will their joining forces produce a new generation of revolutionaries? It wasn't that we couldn't let go of the past. We simply refused to surrender to institutionalized racism. We left solitary confinement after decades of struggling with abnormality as a result of cultural, environmental, ethical, sensory, and social deprivations. And now we are trying to understand the sociological factors that exist in today's general populations. We are a living legacy, now observing those who inherited the fruits of the movement's sacrifices, knowing the cost was paid in a lot of suffering and death, and seeing it has been literally squandered by men who were raised addicted to being the wretched of the earth. The one step forward of yesterday's historic struggle has long ago taken several steps backward. As we talk to the young heirs, who could be our grandsons or great-grandsons, we cannot grasp their cultural identity of referring to themselves and their racial kind as N-word. How could they, the heirs, appreciate a legacy of struggle and racial pride that has always been alienated from their existence from childhood to adulthood? And how could they even recognize a legacy of things that were in the world upon their arrival? Men have always used things as they see fit, and why wouldn't they be careless about someone else's labor and sacrifices? As subjects, we have shifted from a social environment of solitary confinement to a general population social environment. We assumed that our abnormality as a result of long-term confinement in solitary would now shift to normality while in the general population. Instead, we are undergoing a mind-boggling culture shock and are currently trying to understand the sociological factors of today's racial culture groups, their customs, and standards. We now realize we have shifted into an environment of such abnormality that it makes our abnormality appear normal. We know it's a protracted struggle and that today's conditions in a general population are the result of decades of menticide, the deliberate and systematic conditioning that alters national and racial identities, beliefs, values and standards, and trades them for a set of abnormal cultural attitudes that make it acceptable for men to refer themselves and their racial kind as the N-word. The veterans of long-term solitary confinement are the most learned, socially conscious prisoners in the history of the CDC small r, and they must never forget that during the 1960s and 1970s, when the psycho-political forces of institutional racism removed the class of new Africans from the general population, 
It was a form of ethnic cleansing that left our racial class for two generations disarmed without any of their teachers, racial troubleshooters, theoreticians, cultural heroes, linguists, sociologists, jailhouse lawyers, and think tanks. The absence for several decades of the best of the best of the black racial class resulted in what we see today, an environment of abnormality. Yes, we may be experiencing a rage reaction that may leave us with the attitude of preferring to place our mental, physical, and psychological being in a state of solitary instead of dealing with the mindset of today's culture. Yes, I too feel the need to be away from the N-word calling of those of our racial class. Yes, the behavior of one's racial class does infringe on one's values, morals, and racial pride, while leaving one feeling humiliated before the world every time blacks refer to their brothers as the N-word. Our thinking has been politically developed throughout the decades while under solitary confinement. We are not broken men. We do possess the theoretical knowledge of what it will take to come up with an effective countermeasure to transform this environment of abnormality. For over 30 years, our racial class has been in a state of rest, lying dormant while awaiting the return of the best of them. And now the best of them have returned with one love, one struggle, and one aim from Mutope Duguma. Um, again, he is one of those uh, men that has been subjected to the torture of indeterminate sentencing and solid decades of solitary confinement. So I'm going to continue to bring forward um, these voices because that's what Prison Focus Radio is about. And also, I just really want to continue to highlight um, what California Prison Focus and um, its program Liberate the Caged Voices, which I facilitate, um, is doing um, and focusing on. We are focusing on this uh, very particular group of men that were subjected to these tortures by California Department of Corrections Small R Rehabilitation. Um, again, go to www.prisons.org and check out the Liberate the Cage Voices blog page so you can stay up to date on what it is that we are doing. And also you can always reach me at nubeatprisons.org. Okay, so in a letter to the Bayview, shoe prisoner Motope Duguma, slave named James D. Crawford, who wrote The Call, published in the Bayview online and in print in June, sheds light on the background leading to the hunger strike at Pelican Bay State Penitentiary that is set to begin July 1st. Okay. This is by Mutope Duguma. First and foremost, let me say that it is new Africans, blacks, like yourselves who represent our new African nation, NAM, N-A-N, with compassion and dedication that is a reflection of the unconditional love and respect that our ancestors demonstrated during their enslavement by our historical enemies, H-E's, who unfortunately see us, new Africans, as an obsolete people. This is why our HE's very politics is designed and structured to exclude us as a people from their economic system that forces many of our people to be dependent on the very same system that enslaved our ancestors. There are new Africans throughout this nation who believe in a new African ideology that can liberate our people from the malignant American socioculture, politics, and economic system. They have the solutions to our problems. Rather than keeping them in back alleys and prisons, we need to listen and begin to put these stories, sorry, these theories and concrete solutions into effect. 
Ask yourselves why it is that so many of the new Africans who have a strong political line just happen to be locked up in solitary confinement units. We know they are not terrorists, we know they are not gang members, and we know that they are not criminals. So why? Because they are well studied and their political be beliefs will undoubtedly liberate every new African in this nation from mental and physical slavery. Many of these new Africans can easily rid themselves of having to endure the suffering by denouncing their political beliefs. But throughout this nation, they remain steadfast, refusing to be coerced away from their agenda of dealing with the new African struggle for liberation. If we cannot be brave enough to associate with these new Africans who are willing to sacrifice their lives in the name of our people, then we have a serious problem. I personally believe that the lack of education is our most trying problem. We all should know that our historical enemies are not and will not educate our new African people. That is the responsibility of our new African nation. This is how you rid our communities of the many street vices and pathologies that plague our communities and that have new African people preying on one another while being labeled terrorists, gang members, druggies, criminals, etc. New African people in this nation can be labeled by our historical enemies and our people buy into it without investigating in order to get the facts. Hell, I was once an ignorant, impoverished young man living in the Watts Nickerson Gardens housing projects. I couldn't read or write. I graduated from grade school with seven Fs. Not once did my environment of teachers attempt to educate me. My world became exactly that, my world. But when I got to prison, it was new African prisoners who come from where I was from poverty-stricken environments throughout California who civilized me by giving me a proper education of self and the world. But guess what? These same new Africans are the most hated throughout the state of California, and many are, quote, keepaways, unquote, from the new African population. This is what made me love our HEs hate. This is what we... I'm going to say this one more time, excuse me. This is what made me love what our HEs hate. I've come to love the Bayview for your relentless support of the new African community, and I want to thank you for keeping the hated voices heard. Peaceful hunger strike to begin July 1st. Pelican Bay Shoe prisoners joined by shoe prisoners at Corcoran will embark upon a major hunger strike indefinitely until our five core demands are met. The demands are listed in the call. Hunger strike to begin July 1st, and you can find that in the SF Bayview. So Daguma added the following note at the end of the five core demands. Besides regular visits, add video visits for Shu and Adseg so prisoners can visit with approved family and friends who cannot afford to visit them in Pelican Bay. Re-allow the donation of secondhand televisions and radios to indigent Shu inmates when items are placed on their personal property card. Cold weather proof the outside walls for those cells that are exposed to outside weather, in this case cells B through E, with a thick rubber membrane so that in winter months the cells don't turn into ice boxes. Provide better, non-lumpy, cheaper four-inch thick foam mattresses instead of the lumpy cotton mattresses. Pro provide for better shoe recreation and book lending programs. There has been a protracted attack against Pelican Bay State Prison shoe prisoners for the last 22 years, where indeterminate shoe prisoners have been sentenced to a civil death by the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. 
our civil and human rights have been violated. A policy sanctioned by the judicial system, which allows CDC small r, PBSP gang officials to hold us in solitary confinement indefinitely on the word of a prison snitch. It is this injustice that has led to the July 1st, 2011 hunger strike. We want to bring light to the suffering shoe prisoners serving indeterminate sentences who have suffered for 22 years. This was written in July of 2011. And again, it's those men that participated in that hunger strike that are continually retaliated against and are now, most of them are still inside. I wanna welcome home Paul Red. I wanna welcome home a lot of our other brothers, Farouk, um, G2, and of course, Lorenzo Benton, who just came home literally within the past couple of days. Um, upon this uh, work right now, that I'm um, here at uh, Prison Focus Radio on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the web at kpoo.com. I want you all to know that Jaleel Muntakin has been um, unfortunately put into the hospital for complications with COVID-19. He has been in prison with a, a life sentence since 1972. Please check out the article on um, that's in the SF Bayview. You can see it on um, our page at prisons.org at, KP, um, at California Prison Focus. Please do what you can to uh, fight for his release before he dies in prison, which is the sentence that's being given to most of these men and many women as well. Um, to simply die in prison because of what they believe or because they have been unjustly uh, given these extreme sentences that are now um, uh, subjecting them to death by COVID. Okay. Thank you so much for listening and we're going to continue on. Okay. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. How's it going? Oh, that's going well. It is so good to hear from you. I, your letter. Oh, great to talk to you too. Oh, okay. Okay, that's great. It's great to talk to you too. How are you? Tell me how you okay. are. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm doing okay. Yeah, I mean, um, I went to work today and um, it was a hot day outside and I hadn't worked out in about three days. So I promised myself that I would go out and um, we went out at 12. So I promised myself that it was a buddy of mine here and I'd go work out with him to, just to start the weekend. I mean, to start the week off on the right track. So I was able to get a nice little workout in. And I'm waiting, um, as soon as I get to talking to you, I'm going to do some legal typing that I have to do to some innocence projects to try to get um, um, some feedback from them on the case and everything. Fantastic. Oh, that's so good to hear. You got some good, you're going to get some air into your lungs and, Absolutely. you know, just yeah. flushing out your, yeah. your system and bringing in good oxygen. That's good. Absolutely. I love you taking care of yourself. And then you're going to be so with the Innocence Project. Are you is uh, is is this? You've already been communicating with them. Is that right? Well, I've I've been communicating with like the Loyola Law School and um, Innocence Project in San Diego, California. Uh huh. Uh, this call and/or telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I was able to get access to um, a resource guide um, from one of the guys here. And I haven't seen one in quite a while, but there were about maybe three or four pages devoted to um, Innocence Projects. And I've seen about four or five of those Innocence Projects in there, and I plan on writing to them 
I'm uh, trying to get out a couple of letters tonight, and over the course of the week, I'll try to get about four or five letters out um, with a packet that um, details the circumstances of my case and everything. I'll try to get all of that. Not try to. I will get um, stuff to type up for about four or five of those groups there. I mean, this will be the first time that I'm writing to them. Is there anything that we can do out here to, to you know, help support that, support you in that? Well, I mean, uh, one of the one of the things that a guy and I was talking about earlier today, um, you know, it's it's kind of like when you look at um, the, the 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 movement, it's so many different issues that are really important that have everything to do with like the creation of a just and humane society, um, like crim with um, criminal just changes in the criminal justice system being one of those things right there. And so there used to be a time within the movement where just say, like, hundreds of thousands of people, like, um, when you look at the news today, um, it's, it's really common. It's just typical to see a, a story about somebody being released from prison after um, serving X amount of decades in prison for a wrongful conviction. There's nothing unusual about that anymore. Um, it's just part of this, the news story that's being told like everything else. The difference today is there used to be a time that when if something like this was happening just say back in the 1960s or part of the early 70s, there would literally be hundreds of thousands of people taken to the streets and demanded that changes be made. I, you know, And I know how um, impossible this might sound, but I think part of the problem is, is that when you fight injustice, um, particularly... Um, as it relates to these kinds of issues, it's almost like you need the whole country or a, a large section of the country behind those efforts right there. Um, people power actually makes it possible um, for these issues to be heard. There's, there's something about people power that resonates to the extent uh, whether politicians or policymakers or law enforcement people, whether they want to or not, they have to listen when voices become so loud that the voices sound like um, a herd of buffalo um, rumbling across the plains, you know, or something like that there. That's how loud the, um, the, the, the rumbling is. And I think that's the kind of noise that we have to make. But again, I think the challenge tends to be that there is literally this fight by people like yourself to actually create the kind of society where we won't have to have conversations like this about issues like this in the future. And unfortunately, you all are fighting from this position. It's not a position of strength right now. Um, there was a time when, you know, progressives or revolutionary progressives, they dropped the ball. They literally stopped struggling. And they stopped struggling for a number of years and in the process of that, of doing that right there, uh, capitalist powers simply re-entrenched themselves um, in an already almost unshakably strong position. So um, now that you all are taking up the mantle of struggling to create the kind of society where humanity and the human potential of everybody is respected, you are literally having to make up for all of those years where... There was simply that that kind of struggle simply was not taking place. 
And so it's, it's going to kind of like put you maybe 10 to 15 years behind um, people that's in positions of power. And we, we play catch-up now. We literally have to play catch-up um, to create this kind of um, even playing field. Um, because mm-hmm. a lot of the things that we talk about today um, as it relates to criminal justice reform and things like that right there, um, that agenda is still being set by people in positions of power. You know, it's almost like um, they have to figure out a way well, we're willing to do this right here, but we have to be we have to be able to make money off of it in order to do it, and we have to be the ones that that make the rules. Whatever the rules are um, with these changes, we have to be the ones to make that to make those rules up, and that simply can't can't continue to happen because the rules are always going to be written up in a way that favors them and that continues to oppress um, people. I think in a capitalist society, and it's not just a capitalist society, but it's a capitalist, sexist, misogynistic, racist, homophobic, anti-youth, religious intolerant society that we live in. And the hierarchy that's established in this country, um, there are actually groups of people in this country who were never made to feel unwelcome. For sure... Women are only made to feel welcome in this country when they are willing to subordinate themselves to men. And so as long as there are people in positions of power who think like that, like it'll never change. And we'll always be it's just it'll just be this recycling of that battle that we fight over and over and over and over again. And that's what tends to happen when we operate from this position where we are playing we're playing catch up now. And so the, the, the playing field is starting to even now. My hope is is that um, the pandemic that's taking place out there right now, and even in here, the pandemic that's taking place actually should allow us to see that irrespective of um, the things that we think make us different, the one thing that we all have in common with each other is that this could, this could happen to any one of us. Um, and we are all, when it does happen, we are all subject to the same identical anxieties, um, confusions, um, fears um, that everybody has. And, like, we really do need to use this as an opportunity to just to treat each other better. Um, it's, it's really not hard to do. Um, and so that's my real hope is, is that the minute that we can actually start to think in terms of treating each other better, treat each other kinder. Um, from that point on, people will start to see the things that they have in common with each other. And that's what we need. That's really the kind of um, that's that's the kind of thing that we need to actually create right there. Something that will make it possible for us to see all of the things that we have in common with each other. The things that we have in common with each other are the things that all all human beings have in common with each other. And the things that we think make us different or things that we've been taught to think make us different. That, that they are not things of our own making or nothing like that right there. So my hope is is that, you know, like out of this tragedy, will it at least, like, like come, not necessarily this thing where we love each other, that is, we love the sight of each other, but at least we'll love enough to be able to see that um, everybody has a right to exist, everybody has a right to live, everybody has a right to fulfill their potential, 
And we all have a responsibility to create the kind of like world, the kind of society that makes it possible for those potentialities to be realized. That's my hope right there. Oh, the, thank you for that. That really is such a beautiful recipe for living. Sure. And I see a lot of work being done out here, despite the fact that, yes, we are kind of on a back, on a back heel, right? Like we definitely yeah, lost exactly. some ground. Yeah. Are we going to take this opportunity? Can we have courageous hearts? Can we, can oh, we oh, act sure. in yeah. shared humanity yeah. and absolutely. revolutionary love? I mean, you're saying that like it's absolutely yeah. possible, but we do have to be courageous. That's, this really is our fight for our humanity. We have to, uh, our shared humanity, right? And yeah. and again, though, what's amazing to me is listening to you. Like, I see it all the time out here. In so many instances, your voices, the humans behind the wall, yeah. right, uh -huh. are, are telling us and speaking so eloquently about that shared humanity. Like, you yeah. are the beacon. The your voices are so important at this time because yes, you are living this experience of what you're talking about, those years wow. that we have lost. I mean, this is the country that we live in. It is built right, on right. slavery yeah. and genocide right. and rape and right. land theft. That is our country. Right. The way that it looks right. now is not by accident, right? right? That's absolutely true. And it, it has to be done for, for in particular, it has to be done because it's the right thing to do. All we are really doing, all you all are really doing, is the right thing. This has to be done because the way that we live in, it's not sustainable. We simply cannot continue to abuse each other and think that we can sustain a world in which like, people just abuse each other. That's not a sustainable world right there. So, I mean... And it's, 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 it is changing, and it's changing because of people like yourself. Um, I can't tell you how much you all are reflections of Angela Davis, Asada Shakur, you know, Marilyn Buck. You know, I mean, you all are them. You all are, are this generation. You have 60 seconds remaining. This genera generation's versions of some of the greatest like voices that this country has ever produced. The Sonia Sanchez's, the Nikki Giovanni's, you know, and it's... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. And it's, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure for me. It really is. Now, they said 60 seconds, so I don't want to come off before I, I tell you. Like, it, it, it is absolutely a privilege to always talk to you. And if I could get back on the phone, I'll try to call later, okay? Oh, I would love that. And back at you, understand, okay. too. We got love for you, Zah. Love you so yes, much. You. Thank you. Absolutely good. Thank you, too, sis. You take care of yourself and keep your spirits up and be strong. Okay. Thank you. You, too. Okay. Talk to you okay. soon. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Okay. Yes, Zah, please um, start over and, and tell us, yes, what it is that you are going through right now. Oh, okay. Uh, well, when I spoke to... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Uh, the district attorney, you know, I did receive a uh, notification from the district attorney that uh, they were not going to uh, pick up the rules violation report that I received at Solano. So now the next step is the disciplinary hearing. 
that I have to go to. And that could be pretty quick. Um, the way it sounds, um, it could be this week, um, at minimum next week. And um, the thing that actually caused my antennas to go up was, uh, see, about a week ago when I spoke to a counselor here, I was told that if I get found guilty for this, I could be put back in the um, solitary for the same identical rules violation report. Now, nothing in the the rules and regulations support that position right there. The five months that I was in shoe was actually the shoe term, the projected shoe term that was assessed. But there, there seems to be this confusion here about um, a projected shoe term and an actual shoe term is somehow different, even though you do the actual time that you would have done had, had uh, it not been postponed. So, and I was also told that if I am found guilty, I'll have to be housed in a cell. What that has to mean is, like right now my custody classification is medium custody. Um, in order for them to make a determination that I'm, in order for him to say I would have to be housed in the cell, that has to mean that my custody classification is going to increase. And it would have to increase from medium to close custody because close custody is the only other thing that it can go up to. And if it goes up to close custody, and if I have to be moved to a cell, that would mean that I would have to be sent back either to a level three facility or a level four facility. And since the rules don't support none of this right here, what they could also do is restrict my visits. They could actually restrict my visits to non-contact visiting with that in mind. And um, the reason why um, I have to think like this right here is because if I could be told that, well, if you're found guilty, um, we're going to have to take you back to the committee to assess you a shoe time. And if I could just be told that, forget everything else, because I've already did a shoe time, and there's no way that you are legally supposed to be able to do a shoe term, get out, the shoe term wasn't suspended or nothing like that right there. I actually did all of the time that I can do on the term that they gave me in the shoe. But if he can actually tell me that uh, that was a projected term and it don't count, then the truth is is that whatever it is that they think they want to do, they're they going to do. They can do. Um, and and so I'll, I'll have to fight my way out of that right there, basically. Um, like, I was also told that I will not be allowed to present character evidence in my behalf. I'm being told here that you can't do that. Now, the Title 15 actually does state that you can present evidence in your behalf. It doesn't say uh, and that evidence can only be certain types of evidence, nor does it say that uh, the evidence cannot be character evidence. And typically, the way that that's supposed to be interpreted is like if the legislators intended for character evidence to be excluded as part of this due process right to present evidence in your behalf, that's exactly what they would have said. Um, ironically, a lot of the character evidence that I'm asking to be presented is from other staff members at Solano who came forward in my defense at Solano and said they don't believe I did this right here. Um, captains, um, 
uh, I wanted a couple of a sergeant, um, a lieutenant, and a couple of um, um, COs and stuff. So, like, uh, you know, like it's 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 almost as if, and again, I could be misreading this right here. Um, I but I can't I can't understand why they would tell me the things that they're telling me. Yeah. And I'm not um, operating from this premise that, um, you know, it's some semblance of fair play. Uh, it's an expectation of um, some semblance of fair play when you go off into these kind of hearings and stuff. I'm not operating from that premise right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, my experiences has told me something different, at least, um, you know, with, with some prisons and with some administrations and stuff like that there. But that it does appear, based on the things that I've been told, that uh, whatever the worst things that can happen as it relates to the um, 602 appeal, I mean, um, as it relates to 115 and the disciplinary hearing, it's entirely possible that at least some of those things will, in fact, probably happen. And again, I'm basing this on it's the only way that I can interpret what I've already been told. So um, that's the reason why I said when you, um, when you made this, the, uh, the segment earlier, I said that perhaps this um, this good feeling can be um, short-lived. Um, it could be changed when I go to the disciplinary hearing and depending on what it is that they tell me and stuff. Yeah, that, that's understandable. And it sounds like because now you are in status as opposed to Solano, yeah, the, yeah. the guards there are going to, they're going to act in the in their retaliatory ways and their controlling ways. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. The freedom to do whatever it is that they want. Um, uh-huh. So you that shoe term that you served was yeah. you you served that term based on this is this right. is you already served it before you are having these disciplinary hearings. That's the other thing. You're serving something that hasn't even been resolved yet. Well, is that right? The way to yeah, the way the rules read, when you initially get placed in ASA for RBR, and the determination is made that you are going to be kept in ASA, the rules require that the institution assess you a projected term if it's postponed. In my case, it was postponed pending the outcome of what the DA decided to do. But since you're going, to, you you kept in ASA though. So what they do is, is like they make a determination as to what the amount of time carries according to that charge. Mm-hmm. And it's usually a lower range, a middle range, and a high range. I was given the high range of one year. And they every I'm sorry, I was given the mid-range of one year. And they do everybody like that. You get to, Everybody gets the mid-range initially. Okay. But they look at your file to see what kind of aggravating and mitigating factors there are. And depending on what kind of factors they are, you could either get the lower term or the highest term. In my case, even though I didn't have any mitigating, um, I'm sorry, even though I didn't have any aggravating factors, I had all mitigating factors, it didn't change anything. They still gave me the midterm, and um, you do half of all of the time that you are sentenced to. For me, that was five months. I did the five months, and they released me. So... That's what I would have done, even if it wasn't, even if I would have said, okay, let's have the hearing. I'm not going to postpone it. What they gave me is what they would have gave me, and the time that I did, the five months, is what I would have did anyway. Right. Um, so there is nothing in the Title 15 
that supports the position that um, you could you could do a projected shoot time, get out, come back to a committee, be found guilty for the uh, 115 later, and then be given another shoot time. The only way that you can do time on a, a rules violation report that you've already been sentenced on previously is if they suspend part of that shoot time. And they didn't do that to me. They didn't suspend any of my shoot time. Mm -hmm. I did the maximum amount of time that you can do on the time that they gave me. So, like, I, I could only assume, that, and, and, and I should clarify that it's pretty, it's, 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 it's not that bad here. It's, it's some pretty decent people here, officers, prisoners. Um, the, the investigative employee that I talked to today, uh, he seemed like a real decent person. It's this administration, though. It's some people within the administration that I've had dealings with, and I just get this sense that um, this is kind of, it's almost as if, um, like, I mean, either an effort is being made to do things to me, to get me to react to things um, a certain kind of way, or this is just people trying to push their weight around. And it's just a couple of people that I've had dealings with that gives me that impression right there, which is why I try to stay out of their way um, in order to avoid, like, any kind of little trip or something like that there. But I was taken aback by this, only because it runs so contrary to what the rules state. Um, and it would have to be an extraordinarily uh, bold move on the part of some of the administration um, to, you know, I get the part about the character evidence and stuff. I'll fight that. I'll, I'll deal with that right there. Uh, but the whole um, another shoot term and um, um, an increase in one's custody, transferring a person to a, um, a higher level, a higher level of institution and stuff. Like that's the part right there. That's the that's the part right there that really threw me for a loop right there, and that's the part that I'm gonna really have to deal with. Um, if I could, they just called me for some legal mail. So okay. would it be would it be possible for me when I go out to get the legal mail and then come back and call you again? Yes, please do, Zah. Please okay. do. Okay, okay, that's what I'll do. I'll call back in a few minutes, okay? All right, wonderful. Okay, Thanks. sis. Okay, bye bye. Okay. Okay. So yeah, you were you were talking about your concerns about oh, okay. about your I mean you're basically being somewhat set up to be, again, further retaliated against is how I'm hearing it, um, is that... That's really, really how it's starting to sound to me. Uh, because, again, you know, it's, it's kind of like when you hear, when you hear, some, when someone tells you something, and it's, it's so far out, you know, it runs so contrary to what you know, how things are supposed to go. I mean, right. you know, it's kind of like, well, no, this is... This is so much in violation of policy and stuff like that there. Um, and sometimes I really do hate the idea of even saying stuff like that right there because, you know, somewhere in my mind, when I say something like it runs so contrary to policy, it almost sounds like, you know, there's this kind of like um, naivety or even idealism attached to that kind of thinking when I, you know, like, you know, it's kind of like you should know better, you know, like you, you, you should know how this go. And, but it, it's, 
when I heard the statement, when I actually heard it being said that um, we'll have to take you back to the committee to assess you another shoe time, you could, you'll have, to, and if that happens, you will have to be moved to a cell. See a statement like "you will have to be moved to another cell." That this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. That sounds like a definitive statement to me. You will have to be moved to another cell. Right. And, you know, when I follow that through, when I'm, okay, being moved to another cell, being moved to a cell does mean an increase in one's custody level. And an increase in one's custody level means a higher level prison, like a, um, a level, a, perhaps a level three prison or a level four prison. And... See, part of the problem with a lot of this right here is, like, when when these things happen, once they happen to you, it's an uphill battle trying to fight your way out of it. You know, I mean, it's kind of like um, you find yourself in this position, and this is a position that somebody wants you to be in. And when you're in a position, the one thing that the shoe experience taught at least me was when you are where somebody wants you to be, it becomes an uphill battle to fight your way out of that situation right there. I think mm -hmm. that, you know, the, the, the one thing that we have going for us now is, is that there's a system in place. Um, and the system that's in place, like I said, um, you know, the, the cage voices that you started, um, 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 Sharon, Steve, um, Serge, the California Prison Focus, All of Us and None of Us, Legal Services for Prison for Children. You know, like, there's all of these, um, um, it's a system in place that involves, like, a lot of, like, really great people and people that have a vision of what justice is supposed to look like. And they are actually committed to fighting to, to ensure um, as best as they can that it does, in fact, look like they think it should look. Um, so, but, but that's the great part about it. Um, and that's the, that's the thing in particular, I think, that uh, happened, you know, years ago during the hunger strikes and, and things of that nature right there. Um, it made it possible for a system to be put in place that would at least um, put some kind of protections um, that made it, at least a little bit more difficult or a whole lot more difficult where if you if 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 you want to cross people like that right there, um, you know, it's it's people that's watching, there's people that'll learn about it, there's people that'll find out about it and it'll be exposed. And the the one thing that we've all learned that's how effective like exposure is, the the the, the sad part for me really is is that we still fighting the same battle, you know. Um, right. You know, that's the sad part to me right there, because um, every time we got to, to fight a battle, all, the same battle all over again, that's time that we could have been spend, spending on fighting something that really needs to be fought. And it's not so much that things like that don't need to, like this don't need to be fought, because, you know, we've seen, what how retaliation looks. Uh, we've seen what it looks like. We know that it does, in fact, exist. You know, so my hope is always that, and, and that's one of the reasons why when you and I, Steve, have talked before in the past, I've actually put this emphasis on, and I've actually been so hard on myself. 
you know, because, like, all of this is as a result of a mistake I made. And, like, that, that we might have to fight this battle all over again or fight a battle like this again. All of this is test, you know, it's, it's like, when, when I say, I, I can't say we shouldn't have to fight this battle all over again. When, when, when on some level, I'm the one that's responsible for us having to fight this battle. And, uh-huh. I need to interrupt you there. I'm just, yeah, I'm so sorry. Because I, I personally think that's exactly what we need to change is that how everybody makes mistakes and the circumstances right. that you're under. I understand. Of course, uh-huh. we all want to be, the beauty is that you want to be accountable for your actions, right? You want to be accountable right. yeah, for making absolutely. a mistake. But you're also making right. what, quote, mistakes under some of the most repressive conditions that uh-huh. mo- most of us cannot fully understand. And uh-huh. so that to you it feels like like there's, there's you're somehow, you know, fully accountable for this, and now somehow right. exactly. this, this fight is somehow a burden to the people that love you. I don't. That needs to change because that, to me, is where one of the biggest problems is. We keep we keep looking at how much more you're supposed to endure as opposed to this system should not be creating conditions that the, the even the strongest people cannot get out from under like it's punishing people for being crushed by a system that is that has everything in their favor to keep you down you know you there's only so much that you are humanly possible to do and you should not be continually taken to the brink of your insanity before this happens so i'm going to hold that space for you that that we we are going to fight for you because you should not be going through this. And so many of your other comrades, our loved ones inside, should not be going through this either. Uh, Every time there is something, it shouldn't, you all, everything is stacked against you that you are even able to be in this position to speak so eloquently about what it is you're talking about and so passionately and so intelligently is because you have something that a whole lot of other people are just literally breaking down from. And that's what this system is, is, is doing. And that's, that's what we need to be fighting against. That's what we need to be exposing. Of course we make mistakes. We should all learn how to be accountable for our mistakes. Uh, I agree. But, to, but to be continually abused and violated against um, and retaliated against in this way, um, really is not honoring um, each other's humanity. And I really think that's what it comes down to. I do. I really do. Um, I I get that it's part of my personal growth. Yes. You are absolutely right when you say, I got to cut that out. And I know you didn't say it like that. But I did. Yes, cut that out. I got to cut that out. I got to cut that out. Yeah. And you are absolutely right. When you say that right there, like the only thing that really makes sense to me and, you know, the, the, challenges, the challenges that I've had throughout the course of my life and, and, and actually being able to say, okay, 
I'm responsible for this. I have a sole responsibility for it. Now let's move on. It's, it's, I, you know, I still have this problem with, you know, looking back at my life, seeing how destructive it has been. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's almost like every time I make a mistake, I'm reminded of that right there. And, and when I'm reminded of it, I'm also reminded of how much more I got to learn, how much more growing I have to do, how much more developing it is that I need to um, engage in. And sometimes my, my immediate reaction to just making a mistake of being irresponsible, sometimes my immediate reaction to that right there really is like you should have known better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, and a lot of times I simply need to hear what it is that you just said. You know, um, in order to, okay, yeah, you're right. You, but I, I, in all honesty, um, I, I simply haven't gotten to a point in my personal development to where I could actually take, yeah, you're right, and actually put it up, apply it in my life and, and say, okay, now I'm going to forget about it and move on. The truth is, is like I'll forget about it and move on until I make that ne next mistake again. That's really the truth right there. And so it is necessary, again, everything that you said is correct, and I really do respect and appreciate everything that you just said, and you are right when you say I have to cut that out, and I do have to cut that out. It's something that I'm working on. It really is something that I'm working on. Well, you know, Va, we all need to be working on that as well because, you know, we've all been, well, okay, let me put it this way. I mean, you know how I feel about um the fact that um, slavery really has not been abolished and it's taking place within our prisons. I mean, we have, you know, this is a um, generational trauma of people that are being, you know, subjected to um, being put in, um, being made to uh, live a life of something as close to slavery as possible. This country is addicted to the control of first black bodies um, but now, you know, um, all, all, you know, black, brown, poor bodies, right? Um, we're just, we're still addicted to that. So everything is about, is about punishment. And, you know, yet the other day you and I were talking about how important it is to, to build the people power. And it, it needs to be built on revolutionary radical love where we are loving and caring for each other and we are being able to and see each other and embrace each other um, uh, through through our pain, through our mistakes, and find better ways than just looking to punish people. And of course, that's just something that we need to do to empower one another. Um, and, yeah. You know, because this isn't to say like I understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying. This that call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. It's not so much even about forgetting. It's about being able to just see it through a different lens. Like, yeah, you made mistakes. You did some things that got you into a situation that you don't want to do. But you are also being punished in a way that is unjust as well. It is not about that that healing and that that growth. Those things are not. I mean, you're you're trying to do it for yourself. But that is not what's being offered to you, even with all the programming and all of that, because we know that they use that stuff against you. you do all the programming, you do all of that, and then they can just decide yeah. arbitrarily what they're going to do with it, like right now. They're arbitrarily Absolutely. being able to decide how they're going to punish you further 
so that you can continue to remember all that stuff that you did right. to apparently get you in this situation, as if there's nobody else, no other forces that you are, have 60 are seconds remaining. putting that through. Uh, you have one more minute. I don't want to have the last word. Just know I love you. No, no, no. I, I appreciate what you said. I mean, again, like part of the challenge for many of us in prison is that at some point in time, we outgrow this prison experience. There's simply nothing left for us to accomplish in right. prison. And quite a few of us has reached that point right there now. It's, and that, that's a conversation that I think that we really, really should engage in. When is enough enough? So, yes. like, my hope is, is that the next time that I'm able to call and talk to you, what we could pick up at is when is enough? When is enough enough? You know, let's and do it. I really do appreciate the effort that you and everybody is making out there. We love y'all a lot. We really do love y'all a lot, and we are really looking forward. I'm personally looking forward to really being able to struggle with you all. And okay. you know, I really do appreciate everything that you've said to me today. Okay, folks, that's our show. Um, thank you for sharing space with me today. Please get in touch with me at newbayatprisons.org. I'd love to hear your feedback. Also, please don't forget to visit our website, the California Prison Focus website at prisons.org. And also, I really just got to say, I'm really looking for a world without prisons. Prisons are toxic. They are not healing. Um, I'm looking for a world where we are uplifting each other's humanity I'm looking for a world where we are not continually subjecting people to the torture of the shoe as a violation um, or as a, as a rule that you can prescribe to the torture of the shoe. And why are we still doing that? And why is asking about that feel like you're violating your own sense of, of hope and some level of fairness? This is not right. And we have to collectively say that this is not right. And we no longer want people to be treated like this. That we do not want to be treating each other like this. I'll see you next week. I love you. Let's act in shared humanity, Ubuntu. Stay tuned for Workweek with Steve Seltzer.